0: Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Religionless Church. I'm your pretentious and sophomoric host, Mason Menega. In this episode, I talk with Dan Wigner. Dan is an author and a professor. He recently wrote the book, A Sociology of Mystic Practices, Use and Adaptation in the Emergent Church. Also musically featured throughout this episode is Diem. Diem is an experimental electronic band that hails from Washington. You can get connected with both Dan and Diem in their work in the links in the episode description. In the links in the description, you will also find my website, mesamenega.com, where you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other Religionless Church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. If Religionless Church matters to you, there are two ways you can support. First, give the podcast a rating and a review. This not only offers thoughts and evaluation to others considering listening to the podcast, but it also informs me upon what to improve with the podcast. The second way to support is to become a patron of my Patreon page. Patreon is a service where supporters financially support creators. With currently three different tiers varying from $1 to $10 a month, you receive respective rewards for supporting my work. Rewards include papers I write, upcoming Religionless Church episode previews, lectures I create, and much more. The links to connect to and support me and my work, including my Patreon page, are all in the episode description. I no longer wish to be your object cause of desire as I, with my begging rambling, prevent you from your object of desire of this awaiting episode. Therefore, here it is Religionless Church. <laughs> Dan Wigner, who is an adjunct professor at three different universities, uh, which I didn't ask which all of those universities are, but you're also a librarian at the University of the South, which I just found out is in Tennessee. So, is that I'm assuming where you live as well? Yes, I live in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Are you from? I, I hear a slight southern accent. Would I, would I be wrong in, in thinking that I hear a slight southern accent? Well, from the it, South.
1: Well, it depends on uh, your point of view. I'm from Texas, so it's kind of up for debate whether Texas is the south or not. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, I grew up in North Dakota. I went to school,
0: college in Iowa, and now live in Minneapolis. So anything like south of Kansas is probably the south to me. Right. Okay. So I'm going to go with it. Um, So Dan does a number of different things, and including all of the the professorship that he does and uh, librarian work. Uh, you just recently released a book uh, on the mystical practices within the Emergent Church. That's right. And so anybody that knows me knows that I'm very interested in the Emergent Church. I, I work at Solomon's Porch, which is sort of in that world. Uh, and so I I need to tell you how I even stumbled across your book. That, that's I need to do that first. So I... Was looking for, you know, potential interviewees to have um, in in sort of upcoming episodes, knowing that I was going to be in another year of seminary. So I'm trying to, like, get a nice little bank uh, of interviews. And uh, so I, I just started searching of, like, things that I'm really interested in, obviously Emergent Church being one and looked up books in the emergent church and you know many of them i've read many of them I'm, i know of uh but then i saw this one that was coming out in 2018 i'm like oh, that's a little odd most of them are like 2008 or before uh oh, yeah. so I, I was like a little uh sort of unexpected uh, surprise and uh found out that it was from Wiffenstock. and i'm like oh familiar with them so I got a hold of you, got a hold of a a reviewer copy, and um, I really enjoyed it. It was a really great book. I I mainly was able to get through it on on Saturday, so it was a a great time uh, reading it. Um, But we'll get all into that. Before we do that, this is the the surprising question, uh, the question that I didn't send to you. Uh, But the first question that I ask to every person that gets interviewed on here is, uh who is Dan Wigner to Dan Wigner? And obviously I don't ask that question to everybody. Uh, but uh yeah, who is Dan Wigner to Dan Wigner? Hmm. Um
1: well, uh I, I would probably be the best person to answer that question. <laughs> yep. Um honestly, uh I am someone
2: who What I'm most interested
1: in is what there is more to life and reality beyond what we see with our own two eyes. And um, in various ways, um, obviously academic ones, but a lot of uh, different spiritual ones, I've kind of chased that, pursued different answers, and Mm -hmm. try to see um, what lines up for different people and then what lines up for me, and um, to uh, dialogue back and forth on just basically all uh, of the unseen reality around us.
0: What surprised
1: you when writing this book? Well, um, the, 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 Process of of the book is is pretty long. Um, it's a, re, a reworking of what was my dissertation. Okay. And um, in the process of the study, um, there's kind of lots of successive surprises. But probably if I if I had to pin down um, a surprise throughout, it really was um, just the. The energy and willingness to experiment and creativity that I saw in the different case study churches that I Hmm. I, uh, visited as part of the study. Interesting.
0: What about? uh, Were they curious about um, the work that you were doing? Uh, Was this something that they just naturally had an energy and curiosity uh, prior to your study? Uh, What What was it about that? Sort of had that that gave them that
1: energy. Do you think? Well, um, they they all and this may sound a bit vague. They were all very committed to to trying something new, um, to one degree or another. Uh, their their personal or traditional views of church just weren't really working for them, and they were trying to put together something that represented their spiritual journey more accurately. Hmm. It um, definitely wasn't some kind of energy island to it. Most, most people were very confused what I was doing uh, <laughs> at the beginning. Um, and then, you know, kind of saw where I was going after that. But they uh, definitely were on an interesting journey of their own.
0: What did you learn about yourself while writing the book?
1: Well, uh, that's a rather interesting question. Um, Initially, um, when I kind of entered the whole process of research, in the back of my mind, um, because my area is mystical theology, is I was seeing and reading about churches that were coming out of an evangelical tradition. Protestant evangelical tradition, mm-hmm. and were interested in the utilization of mystic practices as a as a as a more central part of their spirituality. Maybe not the most central, but definitely something more than before. Mm-hmm. And um, I was really looking for a way to introduce mystical theology into evangelicalism at the time. Um, and pretty early on, I found out that probably wasn't the best avenue, since. Uh, the emergent church and evangelical evangelicalism are not necessarily on the best terms. Many of the people and churches I talked to, they may they basically became part of that emergent conversation as they were moving away from traditional evangelicalism. Right. Um, uh, but uh and I also discovered that m- for many in the emergent church, uh they were kind of asking different questions. Of the mystic practices than I was. Hmm. Um, but to 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 get back to your to the actual question is um, what I learned about myself is that uh, i was I was asking different questions in both evangelicals and uh, the emergent church. So it kind of hmm. paralleled my own faith journey uh, from and not to go into uh, too much detail, but uh, from an evangelical background uh, to uh, eventually the Episcopal church.
0: Was your experience with the emergent Church prior to your study
1: well um, I first began reading books about the emergent church around oh um, 2002 or 2003 okay um, I, I at that point I didn't have a lot of direct experience because uh, where I was located was in a more rural area mm-hmm. um, of the United States and the emergent Church tends to Tended to center more in urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did have some interesting experiences from 2006 to 2011 in trying uh, to get some emergent churches started um, in more rural areas in Texas, um, and it uh, it was it, interestingly uh, that was kind of still a little too early for those areas as far as. Uh, the culture being at that place, right? Um, now, uh, as far as uh, and so so that's that's basically uh, my experience up until I did my field research uh, in uh, 2011 and 2012, and that's when uh, I went to a lot of the different churches that are represented in the book.
0: We've been throwing around this term, emergent church, uh, as if we both know what it means. Uh, But in the beginning of your book, uh, you attempt to define, uh, I I put define in quotes, uh, the emergent church. What is is it about the emergent church that makes it so difficult and so seemingly impossible to define?
1: Well, um, I I, I think everything I've, I've ever read about the emergent church always starts with it's hard to define. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I, it's it's one of those. I think it's one of those issues where it's it's really easy and really difficult at the same time. Um, from uh, the first times I heard of uh, the term emergent church or emerging church, um, it was defined as conversation, mm-hmm. um, and I think that is is a helpful label in um, getting people interested. And being a little bit disruptive because it doesn't necessarily fall in the typical pattern of what people expect um, for church to be, um, and and I, I I I I do think that was kind of the intention, you know, is to get people talking was the kind of the mm-hmm. idea rather than just uh, have a, a nice neat little definition. But um, for my analysis, was kind of a socio-theological one. Um, that was a bit of a that, that wasn't a definition I could really hang the study on right. Um, uh, some, and, and so I started uh, looking around. Uh, some have treated it as a denominational or you know non-denominational movement, uh, something that moves among different denominations like uh, evangelicalism or the charismatic movement. Um, and I, I do think that's going in the right direction. Um, I, th- I think they're following in the right direction uh, in the sense of seeing it as something larger than a single denomination. Um, I favor a hybrid definition to look at the emergent church as kind of part of a transdenominational movement, but also a bit of a social movement um, because there's a social action piece to all the emergent churches I've dealt with. Um, and even a little bit of kind of a theological school model, uh, something a bit like. Um, Oh, neo-orthodoxy or something that is is uh, hashed out as kind of a theological conversation. So it's kind of like um, a hybrid of lots of different pieces. Sounds really complicated, but um, personally, I, I really like um, uh, Doug Paget's definition of the emergent church as a plum cock, um, <laughs> and you just have to try it to know what it's like. Um, but it really... It's a little bit of this and that, um, um of all of those different things.
0: Can we just say that is the most Doug Paget thing to have ever come out of his mouth? <laughs> I, mean, <Yeah. laughs> I mean this is somebody I know well, so like I've heard a lot of Doug Paget isms and that might like take the cake. He's full of those kind of things. Um yeah, he's he's an interesting fellow. Um yeah, I I I appreciate that response because In in my uh, short uh, experience with the emergent church, it does seem to be this fluid, uh, moving, ever evolving entity that is like that you just can't quite grasp, but can be experienced. But interestingly, like can be experienced, but your experience at one particular emergent church. Is not necessarily going to be the same experience at others, right? So it's right. it's not like if you went to one Episcopal church, you you kind of have an idea of what maybe another Episcopal church might be. Uh, the emergent church experience at Solomon's Porch uh, may be vastly different than um, is it is it Galileo? No, what's the what's the one in Texas uh, in the Dallas area? Um, Ecclesia. Oh, is uh-huh. that the one? Am I thinking so? I, think I
1: mean, Houston.
0: Yeah. Um, So, yeah. In fact, yeah. I think you're right. So there's um, different experiences even within that, and so it's it's sort of this thing where like it can only be grasped by experience. Yet that experience uh, may be very different among different uh, emergent churches. I think it's also important to understand the distinction between emergent church and emerging church. Uh, so you, you briefly talk about this, but what is the difference between the emergent church
1: and the emerging church? Um, that 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 is a por- an important distinction. When when I first started looking at these things in about 2002, um, those two terms were used very often interchangeably. Right. And then as time went on, they became to be kind of their own, um, their own pieces. Um, what the, the emerging ING uh, ch- church uh, from, as best as I can generalize, they, they follow a little bit more of a specifically evangelical theology model. Uh, maybe even uh, emphasizing uh, some aspects like Calvinism more than even mm. the typical evangelical church. Um, and those churches, I find, often are interested in innovative uh, um, interpretations of methods, but uh, they're not necessarily trying to reevaluate or rearticulate the message of Christianity. Um, and I feel like emergent, you know, ENT uh, churches were a little bit more willing, more open to kind of reevaluate everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now they may sometimes uh, get to the same point as an emerging church, but they would kind of take more of a a whole um, system approach to it. Um, now I, I I only refer to that a little bit in my book because I really only dealt with emergent you know E N T churches because they were usually the only ones interested. In looking at mysticism and mystical practices, hmm. uh, emerging churches ing um, were not as interested in looking at those. Mm-hmm. In my experience,
0: yeah. In fact, we had a, a conversation um, around Solomon's porch for a, a sort of uh, reimagining what it means to be Solomon's porch. Um, and Doug mentioned one thing that I, I think sort of speaks to this this question about his difference in understanding between the words improvement innovation and invention and Mm -hmm. so the way doug understands like improvement is something that already exists has a problem and you go about figuring out what it needs that needs to happen so that it no longer has that problem or uh, the, the problem is alleviated in some way and innovation is like the system that tries to address these problems and then the way he understands an invent invention or inventive is something that you know may borrow from past ideas or concepts but tries to create something new altogether and that's how i think doug also understood emergent is something that was sort of swelling up that wasn't trying to problem solve a past problem it wasn't trying to uh, just be an improvement or an innovation from a past thing that already existed, but something that formed and uh, was created that was anew. And uh, I think that's how Doug, at least at least understood Solomon's porch, and, and maybe the broader emergent church as well. Would Would you maybe agree with that? That like that's how Doug would understand that, and how you would maybe understand that difference.
1: I I think so, and I I think those are really good terms to use uh, to kind of distinguish um, uh, among all of those.
0: Let's talk uh, more about the book. Okay. Talk about your thesis uh, of the mystical practices in the Emergent Church. What was was sort of the thesis that you had and that you posited in the book?
1: Okay. Um, Well, my my specific thesis uh, that I, I said was that the Emergent Church is appropriating Christian mystical practices by investing these practices with their own theological content. Um, and to unpack that a little bit, um, what I um, what I first uh, what first got me interested was, uh, as I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, was I, I I saw a lot of these churches coming out of a Protestant evangelical context mm-hmm. um, that that context particularly um, has been uninterested uh, more or less in the Christian mystical tradition, maybe a piece here or there. Um, and in a little bit, they've been a little bit more interested by repackaging uh, mystical practices as uh, spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. um, which is a, uh, another way to talk about them. Um, but um, the I, I saw the emergent church using these more. So what I did was I went to um, some different um, emergent churches uh, and um, asked them about uh, a little more than 20 uh, specific magic practices. How how do they use them? How um, do they interpret them? How do they connect them? Um, And uh, what I really discovered and thought was so interesting was that the practices themselves were often seen as kind of neutral, Um, that it was kind of a container, like a, a practice that they could use as it seemed valuable to them. And then uh, give their own theological spin to it. Uh, sometimes that included where that practice came from. Uh, often, um, it didn't. Um, and um, I, um, I, I thought this was really interesting. I, I, I um, study uh, spiritual borrowing, like where um, different uh, spiritual practices get borrowed from tr- uh, different religious traditions or even different mm-hmm. religions. And often there's it's 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 hard to kind of extricate. Um, those practices from one tradition to another because there's a lot of explanation mm-hmm. and traditional ways of doing things. And uh, the Emergent Church just really would seem to be able to sidestep a lot of that. Um, and so I, I was so interested to f- find out um, how, and that really kind of was the, the, that's the, the core, the thesis to it is seeing, uh, seeing how they go about taking these practices and making them their own.
0: like to know maybe some of your opinion uh i I know that that wasn't really the point of the book but i am interested of like your opinion what did you maybe not appreciate about how mystical practices were used by the emergent church or these emergent churches that you studied
1: well um i don't know if i didn't necessarily uh not appreciate it but uh I, I kind of had hoped to see a little bit more engagement with uh, the history and theology of the practices. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do see across different uh, uh, Christian branches, uh, Christian divisions uh, that uh, mystical practices and mystical experience uh, often are particularly ecumen- ecumenical in nature. They don't have the distinctions of, you know, Baptist or Lutheran or Catholic so much. you know it's it's uh, something that um, is more of a, a way of connection. Hmm. Um, and i was I was and I, and I really do believe that any hope for unification among the various div- uh, divisions of the Christian church, um, really, the mysticism is the key to that. Hmm. Um, and And I was fascinated with what I saw in the immersion Church, but they just weren't really looking at it that way. Right. Most of the time. Um, So I I would have liked to see a little bit more of that.
0: What did you appreciate about the mystical practices used by the emergent churches?
1: Well, um, what I did appreciate is their willingness to to try to experiment uh to innovate invent you know to use some of uh hadgett's language um to to, to 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 try things and um they um they were very eager for that in each church i visited and in those i didn't visit but kind of corresponded with and um It really helped me form, um, and it's not so much visible in this book, uh, uh, but helped me form a a book I have coming out in October, uh, which is uh, a source book of spiritual practices. Um, I had originally intended, and it's a more popular book, this is a more academic one that we're talking about um, today. But uh, that book, I actually have gone across many different practices and variations of practices, and I was originally thinking I needed to 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 um, deal more with theology and historical introduction to each practice, that I needed a lot of that. But um, in my research with these emergent churches, I really saw that, um, you know, people uh, can be trusted, just give them a, a little bit of a of a structure to begin with, and can really make it their own and make a practice work for them. Mm. Um, And uh, that uh, they'll end up with some very surprising uh, variations that can be very rich um, spiritually. And um, so that kinda, I, I was, it, Affected me that that much that, you know, I kind of wanted to keep working with that, even though I was moving away from talking to the emergent Church specifically. Um, but that, you know, that way of looking at using mystical practices, I, I was really, um, really struck by.
0: What are some unique ways that you found emergent churches varying and inventing or innovating some of these mystical practices?
1: Well, um, w- one of the things that I um, was I thought was very interesting was um, the the way they bring um, community to uh, many practices. Um, mm-hmm. One practice I looked at, which um, and this is this is the one practice that was that's common to, to all, all Christian churches but was very notable in uh, its innovation is the uh, communion or Lord's Supper or Eucharist mm-hmm. or Mass. And um, their primary theological sense of it was as community, not as a connection to uh, whether seeing it as symbolic or, or not of Christ's sacrifice, but the primary aspect was them coming together, mm-hmm. um, and that that reinterpretation really just then affected all the ways they varied that practice. Right. Um, uh, and
2: also, um,
1: just uh, one of the things that I saw too is their value for um, each other and for relationship. Which really moved among these different practices changed their basic uh, unit of theology. Mm. Uh, for for uh, many traditions, you know, theology comes in these uh, dogmas or tenets or propositions or something like that. But the value I saw the 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 theo- theological unit of value for the emergent churches was relation and that mm-hmm. determined whether they uh, would bring a practice or a belief in or not, is if a member of their church valued that, that was brought into the church. So so from my own experience at
0: Solomon's Porch, that, that really rings true for both of those points you brought up. Um, so for example, communion, one thing that um, Doug often, or whoever sort of introduces or uh, leads communion that week, we often talk about how... Communion is a, a practice that Christians have, have in, engaged in for many, many years throughout its history, um, and they have done it in many different ways, and they bring all sorts of different meanings to it. And one thing I appreciate about Solomon's Porch is we don't like to take this posture of like, all right, that's like many uh, tr- um, churches throughout history have practiced it in different ways and bring different meanings to it. Uh, but we are the ones that got it figured out. Like we know how to actually do it. Uh, we don't take that posture. It's more of like, okay, that like that meant something for them, and they and they did it in a certain way that really meant something for them. Uh, but this is a way the way that we do communion is what is meaningful to us. And instead of it being like a um, a response or a reaction, it's more of an additive to the Christian tradition, rather than um, a response or a reaction. Um, and so for example, like we meet kind of, uh, or we do communion sort of like a house gathering where we have like the little different stations with the bread and wine and juice and people just sort of walk around and serve each other. And we, we give it about like seven minutes to do that. Um, and so, you know, you see people hugging, you see people chatting while they're slurping down on some juice or wine and while they're chomping on some bread and, That that's just one way that we sort of do communion, and we don't want to do it in reaction to the way that Catholics would do communion or the Lutherans down the street would do communion, but just as an additive, a a different way, uh, but uh, a way that is not in in reaction to other ways uh, that other people do communion. And in in terms of the relational um, piece that you were talking about, something I really appreciate about Solomon's Porch is the way that we engage with. Uh, the bible is all about a relationship we see it as another community member rather than a, a community member or a piece that sort of dominates our conversation or uh, somehow frames or guides a conversation or what we do it is a, simply another voice an important voice but an, a vo- simply another voice that uh we want to listen to um in 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 our conversation with one another. So uh, even the way that we understand the Bible is in a very relational mode just how you would uh, want to listen to and, and value another uh, another participant in our in our gathering. So uh, I just find it interesting like that's totally how is Solomon's porch vibes are the, the, with the two points that you were just bringing up? So today we have the artist that you've been listening to throughout this episode, DM. Um, and DM is an, a pretty experimental electronic group, and I'm really digging it. Hopefully, they're they're laughing, so that tells me that there must be something that I said that was right. Um, so I'm the only one not drinking beer right now, which is really a damn shame. It's um,
2: <laughs> a damn shame.
0: So, uh, but before, I mean, there's... There's three of you, but there's only two in DM. So I better introduce you all. Um, so Jared is here, Micah's here, and Darby is here. Jared is not on uh, in the band, uh, but but rather, what do you say you manage the band?
3: Um, you could call me like Merch Boy Extraordinaire. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I guess that is the, a
0: title and a half right there. Yeah,
3: at the large scale, sure, we have man. a we have a thing called uh, Church Bake Sale. Okay. which is like a, an art collective. So I'm one of the guys along with Micah that started it, started it. Um, so that's kind of like my connection, the nuts and bolts of it.
2: So. Yeah.
0: Perfect.
3: Yeah. yeah, I guess manage is fine. I like glorified Merch
0: Boy, though. It, it's way it rings way better. Yeah. way better than manager. Um, so I was checking you guys out on Spotify. Looks like there's some new tunes that were released this year. Uh, what were some of the inspirations to, uh, some of the, the music that you've made recently?
2: I mm. Uh, let just say, you want to take it away? What um, well, for, uh,
1: you know, in all honesty, women. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, These were the two songs that are out. Just some really badass women.
0: So you're wow. just like the, are you the inverse of Taylor Swift? Oh. Oh.
4: Uh you know <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, we don't complain as much as she does. So, yeah <laughs> we, we celebrate women. Uh yeah. yeah. Like yeah, in a good yeah, women in a good way. Just like I yeah.
3: mean smoochie mama is all about really great women in your guys' lives. Yeah, right? so
4: uh some of the inspiration, smoochie mama, weird weird story. Uh my mom came and visited from Texas up to Washington State and she was asking about our band and she was like Tell me more about what's going on and how you write music. How does it work with two people? It's kind of weird. And so we were sitting in my basement and I kind of just started like writing a song with her. And she was like, she's a saleswoman. And so she was like making calls and sending emails. (laughs) And like 45 minutes later, we had like the skeleton of what Smoochie Mama would be. And I named the track Mama and showed it to Micah later that day, I think, or maybe next week. And he was like, whoa, what's this one called? And I said, well, it's saved as Mama. And he was like, we're going with it. Uh, and so, yeah, we kind of call that song like for all of like the really strong, assertive women in our life, like our aunts, our you know my wife, or moms, and sisters, and friends, and yeah, yeah. That was an inspiration. I'm yeah. glad
0: it's not a song about the Oedipus complex. You know, uh, that's
4: been asked a couple times.
0: <laughs> uh, you glad not the only one.
3: Song for your mom, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no Freudian psychoanalysis.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, she said, "I want to chat with you about what this song means to you personally, you know, just to see if I'm okay or something." But yeah,
3: yeah, uh, yeah. No, no, like separation from the mother sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely. That's great. What um, what inspired? Kinda this experimental electronica music, what is that like something that you all have done before with music? Is this something that's a huge diversion from what you normally do with music?
2: Hmm.
3: Um Yeah, I just kinda at least with Darby and I I just kind of uh I don't know, it usually just kinda just happened. I I didn't I know I didn't play any of this genre at all. I just was like hardcore kid Mm -hmm. and uh like an indie rock guy, you know,
4: for the most part. Um But uh, Darby was doing more, yeah, I, we were in a band together uh, in a city two hours away. And uh, well, even while I was in that band, I was producing like instrumental hip hop, um, okay, Love like lo-fi, love some of the stuff like Flying Lotus and those guys. Mm-hmm. actually should love in l a that all those guys came out of that I just like data and stuff like that. listened to a lot of instrumental hip hop and was producing it in my basement like for four years. and when he moved up to Spokane, my wife was like, you guys should like start writing again. And yeah. I kind of laughed about it and we met up and that was we wrote Misbehaved the first week. Uh, and after like a seven week period, we had written seven songs together, really kind of trying oh. to like capture that moment, like show up, put something down, have fun. If it's weird, awesome. If it's really weird, even better. And then uh, we started playing live like two months in and then really just felt the spark. and yeah. People really liked the weird stuff we were doing whenever we were just like kind of sticking with the moment. And so we kind of mm. fully embraced it. So not, not really. I think his metal, like metal, what do you call it? Metal, kid, hardcore kid days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we tell people to meet at surf rock, but I don't think that's <laughs> real. It's not even close. <laughs> yeah, like,
3: <you> just have, <laughs> yeah just, it just kind of happened. I, I mean, those elements are definitely there though. Like Micah takes his shirt off every show <laughs> and hardcore dances. <laughs> On stage, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but then they're also just like having fun and mm-hmm. getting goofy. It's it's a real treat to enjoy. It.
4: it was fun, yeah. Like I don't know, it's cool. We have a cool electronic scene here in Spokane. So uh, the Another, weirder you are, people like it. Oh yeah, Oh, uh, I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> are are you guys familiar with a electronic band called Holy Fuck?
2: <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> just so so. Okay. So, so.
0: Because when I, so I'm not really into a lot of electronic music, um, but a few years ago, Explosions in the Sky came through and uh, mm-hmm. Holy Fuck opened for them. And it was, again, I'm not really into a lot of electronic music, but I was fascinated by their performance and their music. And you guys immediately reminded me of Holy Fuck. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting about Holy Fuck is they still use. They're they're not from the '80s. They're a band. I think they probably started in either the late '90s or um, early 2000s. But they use all this analog um, equipment for their music, and so that's like how they record. And when they do their live performances, it's all this um, '80s equipment. So they just have I mean, a shit ton of stuff all around there on their stage and they're using you know this analog film that they like swipe through i don't know all the equipment that they use it's unbelievable so but like look up a, a live performance of holy fuck it is memorizing
3: yeah how, how many how many times can you say holy fuck on your uh podcast
0: um en- enough times until i'm gonna have to put that little e next to my my <laughs> <Yeah>. episode <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, well, that and I just really like saying it a ton of times. It's just the best. Sure. <laughs> but be, definitely uh, check them out. They're really, really, really great. I mean, I really appreciate their work. Um, so you you've have two singles out on Spotify. What are other projects in the works? Do you have, I mean, you said you've written seven songs or some of those songs going to be released sometime soon. What, what do you have in the future?
4: Yeah, we'll we'll hit you with a couple of, you know, for your use or whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think we have nine total now, maybe ten. We're in the works. We're we're trying to figure that out. Do we want to drop a bunch of singles? Do we want to put out an EP and then another EP? It's kind of popular right now not to put out albums, which is kind of sad. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think we kind of want to get 12 put together and then put it out somehow, whether it's two EPs or a bunch of singles. Kyle the rapper, if you know who that is real happy rap. Uh, he dropped like all his singles and then he put them out as an album together, which is really kind of interesting and weird but uh, the plan is to just keep putting out music as a uh, as it comes to us, I guess, whether it's single or all together as an ep but i, I do you have a recommendation, I guess like <laughs> how do you consume music?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean i I've noticed that too like within the last year or so, bands sort of just putting out all these singles and then like, you know, maybe they all have, like, a three-song EP or something as, like, the, like an extra sort of present, but um, that, or, like, they'll do, they'll do that, where, like, they'll do a few singles, and then if they do have, like, an EP, they'll make it as, like, a vinyl, and then, you know, get all fancy with vinyl and stuff, and maybe, like, a music video or two or whatever, but um, yeah, I'm, like, noticing that trend, too, even among, like, a lot of bands that normally have been in a scene where you release, like, an album every two or three years, and that was like the expectation. And now they're yeah, like yeah. kind of diverting from that.
4: Two months or something like that. So,
0: yeah, it's kind of interesting.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: What, um, as you've written, I mean, you said like you have about 10 songs now. As you've written your music, what are some common themes that you're finding within uh, those 10 songs?
4: Yeah. Uh, so, our first show, it was really kind of crazy. I was sweating really bad. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> I had maybe one or two extra beers. Was that the house show? Yeah, that was the house yeah. show. Uh, we played that, and people really like certain songs. And so, like, I don't know if you picked up on that. Um, but, like, to me, the experience has always been about being in that moment of, like, we're playing live. It's kind of special. Like, I mean, the last last yeah. show we played, I don't know, 100, 120 people in this tiny Not bar. Like,
3: 100. You guys, like, packed it out. It's, like, 100.
4: But it was yes. it was all about like the interaction between us and the crowd and like I don't know it was like a dance party which was like yeah. so fun so like I I think I don't want to say it's like super ex- it's like being in the moment being present like smiling having a good time uh, I don't it's almost like a, it's almost like an
2: escape
3: hmm. people come to our shows for an escape I'm all that uh, bullshit. Yeah, I mean, it is is—it is like a really happy experience to be in. I mean, like, they they hyped a bunch, like, at the last show, they hyped everybody up with, like, their own music, but then they played, like, <laughs> a fucking number of Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And it was just, like, it was insane. Like, that yeah. that's just, like, that's what their music is. It's dancey and fun and, uh, I mean, like, a nice switch up from, like, the mundane.
0: Yeah. So, that's awesome. Think, yeah. What um, What, any tours? I know you mentioned, like, a few, like, sort of house shows. Planning on touring on any of this uh, music?
4: Yeah, I think that's that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, we've booked a couple local shows. There's like a couple like festivals and stuff locally, and next year we're planning to apply. I, I guess you apply at festivals. I never knew that. <laughs> Drop my phone. I guess you apply at festivals, but uh, yeah, we're we're planning on touring around the northwest and seeing what we can do in the spring, maybe, and and getting together five, ten tour dates and seeing what's up. So. We're really excited. We want to get out there and, and meet people and just yeah. have a good time and hopefully, like, I don't know, have like a big party at, in a bunch of different places, not just here in <laughs> Spokane. So <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, if you ever venture venture out far enough to Minneapolis, definitely hit me up because I know I definitely know a lot of places that you could play and um, have have a ton of fun at. That's
3: awesome. I mean, right right now we pretty much just know people in the Northwest and Texas, but
4: I got I got cousins. My well, my wife has cousins in Minneapolis, so. Who knows, dude? That would be so fun, though. I love that city. Oh yeah, my! that would be
0: great. Uh, so, last question: How can people get connected to your music? I know Spotify. Any any other sort of uh, links that you can link them to?
4: Yeah, we're we're on Instagram at d e e underscore e m underscore p n w, which is obnoxiously long. Uh, <laughs> we're on Facebook too as d e e that. DEE EM on Facebook, those are the best places. We'll be coming out with a website here soon, but yeah, yeah. Um, the collective that we're
3: part of is going to be launching a website
4: hopefully in the next month.
3: Um, and then I actually started a Twitter for our our collective, I just haven't done very much because I've been busy starting a shop. that'll hopefully be up soon and posting everyone's music because we got we have other music that we've been releasing basically as an independent. Record label that doesn't really have any presence, right. uh, but we do have music with it. So, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of other music too besides just DM on there. I
4: like to post memes on Instagram. So, if you like <laughs> having a good time,
3: I don't. Perfect. <laughs> uh, no doubt.
0: Cool. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, I know I've been enjoying it. Uh, it's I I always find like artists that are just different than what I normally listen to, and it's just always really fun. So, thank you again, and uh, hopefully we can stay connected. Thanks, Mason. Yeah, thanks. I'm not sure if if you would think of your book being um, a book that relates to religionless Christianity, but uh, if you think it does at all, uh, how do you? Do you think your study and your book relate to Bonhoeffer's concept of religionless Christianity, if you're familiar with that concept at all?
1: I I am. Um, now, I think that question might open a bit of a can of worms for me. Is that okay to um, open that can of that, worms here? Yeah, perfectly fine. Let's, uh, let's um, hear it. Um, I, I really think there are kind of two ways, uh, two primary ways anyway, that religionless Christianity gets interpreted to streams. Um, And I think part of the reason of that is Bonhoeffer uh, was murdered before he fully fleshed all of that out. Yep, exactly. Um, And there's some different ways that that could go. Um, Now, the the first strain uh, that I've heard a lot is it kind of emphasizes the problematic nature of the institutionalization of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe particularly as a social and political force, you know, that, In that sense, you know, seeing Bonhoeffer as kind of an early prophet of bringing the church away from being, you know, another social organization and into kind of a grassroots, organic um, agent for social change rather than setting up the existing social structure. Um, From that perspective uh, and taking that, I would say. uh, the emergent church and how they're utilizing mystical practices fits in very well. Hmm. Um, because, as, and as I see, uh, see in my book, is that how they use mystic practices, emer- the emergent church or emergent churches, um, is in a process of kind of de institutionalizing theology right. and repersonalizing it to see that, you know, theology should be done as. Certain practices um, in meeting God and in uh, encountering the divine is um, it's it's about people. It's about people who have these experiences and who who uh, use these practices. Um, and I uh, I um, I think that, that that fits in really well. Uh, and I was thrilled to see that kind of connection of the personal connection with theology. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there, there's kind of a different stream of uh, for Bonhoeffer's religious uh, religionless Christianity. Um, and it raises some problems for that the other view. Um, that kind of first definition of religionless Christianity fits in really well with kind of an American experience of church, um, and maybe even American evangelical emphasis, particularly. Um, but it, 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 in 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 my experience, it doesn't fit quite as well, uh, or very well, with a German Protestant mainline context, which it, Bonhoeffer, in many ways, was a traditional Lutheran. Um, mm-hmm and uh, i I feel that the the first interpretation doesn't necessarily take that into account as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bonhoeffer um, is is his focus um in everything is very ethical. Um, that concrete ethics to have mm-hmm. a real difference in real life. that's that's what relationship with Christ should mean uh, in his view. And philosophically, he um, takes a lot from, and, and was good friends with, uh, Martin Heidegger. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that viewpoint, that what he might have been trying to do is more of an existentialist uh, sense, where um, it would actually connect more with, say, th- a theological movement called demythologization, mm-hmm. um, which connects to uh, a theologian uh, named Rudolf Bultmann, mm-hmm. um, that uh, Bonhoeffer was very interested in his work, and and a lot of the themes that Boltmann deals with show up in uh, Bonhoeffer's Letters and Papers from Prison. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, and uh, actually my wife, uh, Leanne Wigner, has actually dealt a lot more with that um, aspect. Um, I haven't dealt as much with Bonhoeffer, But I do feel if he was headed in that direction, there is a a kind of someone who picks up that and take the existentialist ball rolling is Paul Tillich, yeah. Uh, And he um, he kind of fully fleshes that side out. Um, So if we take if we take that definition, I would see I wouldn't see there's much of a connection with the emergent church and mystic practices with religionless Christianity, Um, but. I think that, that that might be a bit of a di- uh, a deeper philosophical issue. um mm-hmm. one of one of the things that i've I've uh, seen a lot in the emergent churches, uh, and this i this doesn't necessarily have a section in the book, but kind of is, um suffusing it, is there there's there's a there's a bit of a difficulty in what worldview they're dealing with. It, and, and there's a lot of talk of postmodernism. right? And um, in a lot of ways, postmodernism in the United States, at, at least popular postmodernism, I feel uh, doesn't connect very much with an existentialist viewpoint. It, it connects more with um, a romantic or a transcendentalist viewpoint, mm-hmm. uh, kind of from the 19th century. Um, I uh, actually think Bonhoeffer's religionless Christianity fits better with, say, like a philosophy like pragmatism, like something coming out of William James. So if if we were to take religionless Christianity that way, I actually think, and and I think in general, a lot of the emergent church conversation um, should uh, um, take a look at some people like uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, Mm -hmm. or uh, Henry David Thoreau. Um, or even some uh, mainline Protestant uh, writers of the 20th century, like uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick, because um, uh, in, 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 um, they were asking some of the same questions, you know, in um, a, a, a context that probably needed a little less translation, because uh, with Bonhoeffer being German and dealing with a very different thought world than the United States tends to have. up.
0: How can listeners get connected to you and your work?
1: Well, um, the book is available on Amazon. Um, I uh, do have a website and it's uh, danwigner.com. And there's two N's in Dan. Um, And uh, that is a good way to follow the different books and articles I write. And then uh, there's also a blog there, although uh, that's not updated quite as often as I'd like. (laughs) Uh, So that's probably the best way to follow
0: me. I'm I'm pretty sure, Every blogger I've ever known says that about their blog, that it's, uh, yeah, I've been slipping on that a little lately. (laughs) It just seems to come with the nature of blogs. Um, But thank you again, Dan. This has been an unbelievable conversation. As I emailed uh, you earlier, uh, I think this is a conversation worth having again or having a, a slightly different take on it because... Uh, because of my experience in the Emergent Church, because of obviously your experience and your study in the Emergent Church, um, I think there's uh, many other sort of avenues we could go down with this conversation. So uh, hopefully uh, you'd be wanting to come back again and we can uh, even dive deeper or differently into uh, the Emergent Church conversation. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, yeah. Thanks. I hope that episode left you satisfied and fulfilled, so much so that you have no desire to ever listen to another podcast episode of any show ever again. If you would like to connect with both Dan and with Diem and their work, you can find links in the description below. Again, you can also connect to me through my website, mesamenega.com. There you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write other Religionless Church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, if Religionless Church matters to you, support by giving a rating and review, and by becoming a patron on my Patreon page. Thank you for listening to Religionless Church. I send you out with this. May the divine bless you with doubt and keep you disrupted. May the divine make the divine's face of infinitude shine upon you and show graciousness to your own finitude. May the divine lift up the divine's countenance of justice upon you and give you the whole unsatisfaction now and forever. So be it.